You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. To my successor, whoever he or she may be. Number one, stay close to the Americans, stick up for the Ukrainians, stick up for freedom and democracy everywhere. Politics in general has taken total lead of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. It won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Caroline Hepkin. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up on this special hour-long programme today, will it be Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak? We are live in Westminster and in our London studio for the results of the Conservative Party leadership election. Not the first one we've had in recent years, it's fair to say. that there's this. We are now on our fourth instance to 2016, uh, but it has been a gruelling campaign this yeah. summer. Uh, and, of course, a huge a mountain for both candidates to climb to get us here. Uh, it was the 23rd of July 2019 where Boris Johnson was elected as Tory leader and tomorrow he will step out of number 10 and we'll find out in the next half hour or so who will be stepping in to replace him. Yeah, absolutely. Almost eight weeks of campaigning. So is it either Liz Truss, who would then be the third female prime minister in Britain, or Rishi Sunak, 15th prime minister for the Queen, of course, uh, who will be you know presiding and, and getting that request from uh, the next leader to form a government. Let's go live, though, to Downing Street and speak to Bloomberg's Ewan Potts, who is there for us. So you are camped outside number 10, where whoever succeeds Boris Johnson will move into, of course, in the coming days. Just take us through then the choreography this hour, a crucial hour for what we're going to hear from uh, Graham Brady. Caroline, yes, I'm sandwiched between Portuguese television and ABC News of Australia. The world's media huddled, and it is a huddle uh, opposite a row of really quite modest terrace houses in the centre of London. But the challenges facing the new PM are anything but modest. Now, Liz Truss, and we do think it will be Liz Truss, has been meeting with her top team over the weekend to discuss some of those enormous challenges, particularly economic challenges. But first, there's a small matter of the result. Within the next half an hour or so, we're going to hear from Sir Graham Brady, chair of the Conservative 1922 Committee. He'll make that announcement just down the road from here at the uh, Queen Elizabeth II Conference Centre, and that will be followed by a speech by the winner. Interesting to judge the tone of that speech from Liz Truss. Of course, the country is in a pretty uh, serious place at the moment. Much of Europe really struggling with that energy crisis, and she will have to say something about that energy crisis in her speech. We know that uh, over the next uh, few days she's going to announce measures as well, uh, but that will need to be something we need to watch uh, very, very closely. And then tomorrow she will visit the Queen in Balmoral, and uh, she will formally become the 56th Prime Minister of the UK, and the fourth in just six years. You and we are talking about Liz Truss as as the front runner. How did she get to that position during this campaign? Well, it's likely that uh, Truss will be the clear favourite of 160,000 Conservative members, perhaps the overwhelming favourite. We don't know the margin, of course, uh, yet, but we do think it will be Liz Truss. All the uh, odds on the markets suggest that uh, uh, she will win and and fairly clearly. But we do know that she is not the preferred choice of MPs. It was, of course, Rishi Sunak who led every single uh, stage of the voting amongst Conservative MPs. In fact, at some stages, uh, Truss was not 
uh, even second. So she's not the preferred choice uh, of MPs. Uh, interesting bit of uh, polling from YouGov over the last couple of days that only 12% of people expect Truss to be uh, a good or a great leader and fully 52% of the public think that she will be a poor or a terrible leader. So she's coming into down, number 10 Downing Street uh, with quite low expectations, uh, which will uh, obviously be uh, helpful for her as she seeks to make a good impression uh, on the public. But it is going to be a very, uh, very tricky first few days for Liz Truss, assuming that she wins, of course, in half an hour's time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we are told that the candidates will only find out themselves who's actually won in terms of this ballot 10 minutes ahead of the formal announcement. So perhaps any minute now they'll be uh, be given the information. But you mentioned, you know, that the bar is incredibly low for Liz Truss in terms of public opinion of her. Um, the thing that, that I think MPs are most concerned about is the major issue of energy. And we are actually hearing more and more about what a potential Liz Truss uh, premiership would do very early on to address energy costs. Yeah, we are. To, to misquote Tony Blair, the three priorities of the new Prime Minister will be inflation, inflation, inflation. It is that cost of living situation, particularly energy bills, which everybody is talking about, not just uh, amongst Conservative MPs, not just amongst politicians of all colours, but everybody uh, in the country is worrying about that big price like we're going to get in October, tri tripling the price of uh, last year. Now, as you say, some details have been starting to emerge. She was quite clear on the campaign trail that she didn't want to be uh, increasing handouts, that she said that it was important that uh, we cut taxes for people rather than handing out more government money. She said that's Gordon Brown economics. But it does sound that, seem that she's left herself a little bit of wiggle room. We do know that she's going to cut VAT on energy bills. That uh, will give about £180 to a typical household. She's going to get rid of the green levies, at least temporarily. That's another £150. And of course, uh, on the tax front, she's going to abandon the uh, corporation tax hike and the national insurance hike. But on uh, energy bills, yeah, we're getting a little bit more detail on that. She says that uh, she will act immediately and announcement will come within a week or so. We'd also like to get an emergency budget, which of course will address uh, a lot of this as well. That will probably come before recess, uh, which is on the 22nd of September. So that is really uh, not very far off. We do know that she's ruled out any new windfall taxes, but if she's gonna spend tens and tens of billions of pounds uh, addressing the uh, energy problem, she's gonna have to find uh, money from somewhere. You and Potts live in Downing Street. We'll be back with you later in the programme as well. In studio with us, we have our managing editor for European Economy and Government, Ben Sills. Ben, great to have you on the show. You laid out some of the kind of the context and, and heading into today for us there. What sort of prime minister do you think that Liz Truss will make if she is, as we heard from you, and expected to be named in the next few minutes? Well, I think it'll be a very, very different sort of prime minister from Boris Johnson, for starters. I mean, he was this kind of natural public figure, like nothing better than the, than the stage, very charismatic. Um, Liz Truss is not a natural public speaker uh, in, in that respect, but she does... Um, uh, uh, she doesn't shy from tough, tough decisions. Um, she kind of prides herself on... Uh, uh, taking the flack that comes comes with that sort of thing. In fact, she was saying yesterday she's not afraid of being unpopular. And indeed, given um, given the, the the policy option she's got in the state, that's probably a good thing because um, there's going to be some difficult difficult moments ahead. So it's going to be a very different tone. She's she's a much more kind of gritty, earnest sort of sort of figure compared with Johnson. Um, uh, also somewhat ideological. I think that she, she's, she's clearly styled herself on Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see as her political priorities shift from courting the Tory party membership to courting Tory MPs and, and, and the British electorate, whether she maintains that line. But that's, that's been a big part of her, of her offering. So it's, it's almost like a kind of neo-Thatcherism we're looking at, the return of, return of the Iron Lady. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, for anyone who is brought up with uh, Margaret Thatcher, of course, the similarities in dress and policy, frankly, are incredibly evident. But this idea of a U-turn expected on on energy, um, how do you think the money is going to stack up? I mean, this the, the pressure has built over many weeks, hasn't it, for there to be something done about the cost of uh, energy for households, consumers and businesses. And the Europeans are starting to roll out cash. Yeah, we saw over the weekend the Germans have put down 65 billion euros to, to help to help their um, households and companies get get through the winter. Um, it, it's it's clear that 
the demands for on Liz Truss, if indeed it is Liz Truss we're talking about in another 20 minutes' time, um, it's clear that the demands on Liz Truss from the electorate and probably from also the policy, the policy establishment are going to be very different from what the Tory party base want to see. Um, as you said, we've already started to see this pivot away from no new chat taxes, no handouts to... I will act, I will come up with uh, a big response to this crisis. Um, the thing that I'm going to be watching out for is to what extent does she manage to target the money mm. on the people who need it most? And to what extent does she have broader measures that might be things like um, tax cuts, which while more palatable for the traditional Tory voter, are less targeted and less efficient at giving, getting the money to the people who need it most. Um, the man who will be stepping off the scene, of course, Boris Johnson, um, does he, is he going to continue to cast a long shadow over the Tory party? Well, I think we've seen over the weekend there's still a degree of... Uh, uh, kind of uh, fantasy, I would say, relating to Johnson and the idea that he might make a political comeback. It strikes me as very unlikely that he would return, um, even though that rumour is not going away. We saw in the front uh, on the front page of the Daily Mirror, uh, the Sunday Mirror, that you know the idea amongst some Tory MPs of orchestrating a return. I don't think an actual return is very likely, but I think his influence and his pop popularity within both the parliamentary and the party will make him an important player and he is so far playing the party grandee appealing for unity trying to help his successor whoever they that may be however we have seen in the history of the Tory party that former prime ministers are not necessarily helpful allies to their successors. Yeah, and I mean, Boris Johnson in his final farewell week in the cockpit of a of a typhoon aircraft. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's he's certainly got a way of appealing to people, you know, very kind of um, populist and stark sort of images that he uses. Um, just returning to trust, though, and, and trying to push this forward, the cabinet makeup, I mean, one perhaps of the criticisms of Boris Johnson as leader was that there were quite a lot of loyalists seen within the cabinet, perhaps not less meritocratic, more loyalists. What do we think about, if it is trust, whether she's going to have a cabinet made up of experts or again, is it going to rely more loyalists? How do you see that? Uh, it it out? looks very much like it'll be the loyalists. We're not looking at a, a, a government of all the talents, that's for sure. Um, our reporting over over the weekend suggested um, quasi Kwarteng, um, the, the the business secretary, is is extremely strong favourite to be chancellor. Mm. He's he's got a relatively good reputation, but he is nevertheless relatively inexperienced for taking that job. Um, we have um, Suella Braverman um, being lined up as a potential Home Secretary. Um, she's been in the Cabinet for less than a year, serving as Attorney General, and the chatter amongst Tony, to, in, in Tory circles is that she managed to negotiate a, uh, some kind of um, agreement with Trust when she pulled out of the race. So um, it, 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 it's more likely to be supporters and loyalists than, 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 than reaching out. And a lot of the big, the big beasts from um, Johnson's government, uh, Rishi Sunak, of course, also Michael Gove, Dominic Raab, are likely to be on the back benches, and they are influential, and they could cause a lot of a lot a lot of trouble for for Liz Truss. No hope that Rishi Sunak might uh, make a return to cabinet. It strikes me as unlikely. <laughs> Uh, thank you for entertaining that as a thought. Um, I mean, wh where did it all go wrong for Rishi Sunak in 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 this? I mean, we're we're making a lot of assumptions here, but it's based on very consistent levels of polling. Patrick English from YouGov spoke to us earlier. We're going to hear from him in a few minutes as well. He talks about this consistent thirty point lead that Liz Truss has had. It does seem like that he lost the momentum quite quickly. I think that the problem was that he just got impatient. There was that day, I think it was the Tuesday night um, of the week when, when that dramatic week when Johnson mm. was toppled. Sajid Javid had resigned. We know from the degree of polish and preparation in, in, in Rishi Sunak's um, uh, media materials that week that he had he had prepared his resignation, but he 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 came in ten minutes after Sajid Javid's resignation and quit then, and that was 
probably the moment which pushed Johnson over the edge. And lots of people in the party have never forgiven him for that. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I, I think that that is... Um yeah, I, I was struck by that actually. That that moment when that happened, the kind of the long the long memory or the um, yeah the attachment to uh, to Rishi Sunak of of the kind of anger. But I suppose maybe that reflects actually the ongoing popularity of of Boris Johnson. So take a step back and think about the Johnson legacy. I mean, in five years' time, how will we think about Johnson's premiership on Brexit, on the pandemic? I mean. I do, in some senses, have to say one could feel sorry for government in the sense that the last three years has has thrown up some of the biggest challenges you could ever expect in government. Yeah, that's true. I think that some of the challenges, if you leave, I mean, COVID was a unique and unexpected crisis. The rest of it, though, was pretty much um, self-inflicted or those, mm. those are issues which he sought. Um, I think that the ongoing kind of conceptual struggle with Brexit is the fundamental Johnson legacy. The fact that he came into power promising us an, an oven-ready Brexit deal and then has spent most of the time since then railing against the, the, the deal which he signed, particularly the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that that's a pretty good symbol of Johnson's approach to government, mm -hmm. not necessarily worrying about the detail in the short term and, and, and assuming that he can, you know, sort problems out by blustering away in the long run. But actually, in, 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 in the final reckoning, probably storing up some extremely serious problems for the country um, over the long run. And actually, you're already seeing, um, I think a lot of the economic problems now are related to Brexit. This is Johnson's legacy. Okay, Ben Sales, our Managing Editor for European Economy and Government, thank you very much for joining us. If you're just joining us on Bloomberg Radio, this is a special UK politics programme as we are waiting for the results of the Tory leadership race. We should have that in the next 15 minutes or so. Members of the Conservative Party uh, have gathered at the QE2 Centre in central London where the results are going to be announced uh, just after half past 12, uh, we are told, and we are looking at footage of the uh, candidates arriving at the centre now. Um, thank you very much, Ben Sills. Let's turn now to uh, the latest polling which we heard you in Potts mention earlier from YouGov showing that only 12% of British voters expect Liz Truss who is thought to be the front runner in this race to be a great or good Prime Minister with 52% expecting her to be poor or terrible. We spoke to Patrick English, Associate Director at YouGov and started by asking him about Liz Truss's consistent lead in polls during this campaign. We are expecting Liz Truss to win today. Our polling suggests that she will uh, emerge as among the Conservative Party membership, probably by around about 30 points. And uh, I think that's the a conclusion of a very long, drawn-out campaign of which this trust has maintained that 30-point lead kind of throughout she's been possibly against, uh, against Richard Sunak. So, yes, we are expecting her to win today and look out for that sort of 30-point margin that we think it's going to be. She has been the clear favourite, as you say, throughout the campaign. Was this really all about timing uh, for her in the way that her popularity grew during the during the past seven weeks? I think certainly among the membership, yes. I think it's important to remember that only 25% of Conservative Party members actually wanted these two in the final two. When we were polling in the early stages of the contest, it was all about Ben Wallace. It was all about Penny Borden. It was all about Kemi Badenoch towards the end. There weren't that many that actually wanted this combination of Sunak and Truss to be in that final combination. So I think of the two of them, there was a perception that Rishi Sunak perhaps might have done Boris Johnson wrong or sort of abandoned his post. And that didn't play well at all, I think, with the Conservative Party members. So this Truss was able to get out into an early lead and kind of sort of maintain that, really, by talking about core Conservative principles, returning to a Conservative or a traditional Conservative, we should say, way of running the economy. But that just resonated very strongly with what Conservative members were looking for at this time. OK, but now this Prime Minister, the next Prime Minister, will have to move from just appealing to that very narrow 160, 175,000 uh, core Conservative Party membership. They will have to deal with the country as a whole. And the numbers that I presented, you know, from your polling show, I mean, more than half the population think that Liz mm. Truss is going to be a terrible leader. I mean, that's pretty gruesome. 
Oh, it absolutely is, yes. The expectation among the general public for, for Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak is very, very, very low indeed. In fact, when we asked whether they thought that Liz Truss would be a better or worse prime minister than Boris Johnson, she came out exactly tied with him. And she came out below every other prime minister that Britain has had since Margaret Thatcher. So the public expects her to be much worse than, let's say, John Major, Theresa May, David Cameron. So expectations are very low that she has an awful lot of work to do to turn around this 15 or so polling point lead that Labour currently have in national voting pensions. So is, the, is this then a boon for Labour that they've had, you know, seven weeks of Tory infighting during this campaign? It, it, has this provided the bounce for them and have they capitalised on it? That's a good, good question. I think you can argue yes and no. Broadly speaking, the polling is sort of where it was, perhaps a little bit better for Labour at the start of this contest. So certainly we can say that the contest hasn't reversed the Conservatives' fortunes or put them in a better standing with the public. They have, of course, removed a very unpopular Prime Minister, so we might expect that to count in their favour over the next coming weeks. We could perhaps see a honeymoon. But Kirstarmer and Labour have had a pretty good summer by not doing very much. I think the key for them as we head into the next general election, it's going to be to maintain this 10 to 15 point lead because that's kind of the numbers that we need to see or an opposition needs to see if they're going to take power in the next election. We will expect that to sort of shrink as we move toward the election. So Labour needs to capitalise and sort of keep this gap open for now as we move toward the next election if they're going to really sort of build on their, their position now. Yeah, I think that's interesting you say that. We were speaking to Alistair Campbell, of course, director of comms um, under Tony Blair at number 10, um, but but a, wide, a well-known commentator. He was saying, actually, um, that Labour had done a really bad job, uh, the front benches of, of the Labour Party, done a really bad job of, as he put it, branding the next prime minister, you know, giving them mm. a kind of tagline that would be resonate mm. or be unpopular with, with voters. But look, if you say that the bar is so low for Liz for Liz Truss, so uh, unbelievably low. I suppose anything that she does to help households with energy bills, you know, w- would allow her, you know, a-, a major win. So I suppose doing a massive U-turn um, would be not very damaging to her if she changed her tune on giving people more cash. I think that's exactly right. And it goes to what you were sort of saying or what we were saying uh, to the top of the conversation. And Liz Truss can now orientate, if she wins as we expect her to win, can now orientate herself toward the voters and the electorate and away from that very narrow subset of the public, which are Conservative Party members. And certainly what we've been finding in our polling is that policies such as freezing the price, the price rise, getting more help financially to those particularly on means-tested benefits, those are very, very popular policies that Labour are sort of promoting right now that are available for Liz Truss to kind of take on in the next couple of weeks and try and provide that momentum and try and provide that sense of that she is and her government will be a government that can be trusted to deal with the cost of living crisis. Because right now, that is what the public wants. It's the single issue that they keep telling us again and again and again is on the top of their agenda. So there's an easy route in there, I think, in terms of what this trust should be focusing on. The trick's going to be, do the public trust her to do it? And that's perhaps where these expectations and these evaluations mm. that they're right now just don't look too good. How much will the, the lineup of the next cabinet be key to that? And, and who are the names that we should be watching out for uh, if Liz Truss is successful and, and will be naming a cabinet in the coming days? I think probably one of the most important things that this trust could do right now is present a unified front of the Conservative Party. We know that sort of parties that are seen as divided, disorganised, infighting are very, very, very unpopular parties. So I think she might be looking to try and put some of Rishi Sunak's backers into the cabinet. And she might be looking at putting some of the people who stood against her in the initial phases into the cabinet. People like Penny Morden, who was pretty popular with the membership and indeed has a fairly decent rating with the public. Ben Wallace as well is another one who would certainly be looking to be kept there and the public have a pretty good opinion of as well. So that's going to be the key, I think, for Liz Truss is to present what should be a kind of a unified, a party that's able to get around her sort of look at the electorate, face down Labour and be ready for the next election. Because divided parties are unpopular parties. Okay, Boris Johnson, you know, thinking about the outgoing uh, Prime Minister, um, how how unpopular exactly is he as he leaves? And were there policies, you know, according to your polling, that were popular that he enacted, i.e. what is Johnson's legacy? That's a very good question. Certainly Boris Johnson does not leave a good legacy at all. The public very much fell out with him, shall we say, over the course of the Partygate scandals and then the sort of the parliamentary 
business and the twos and pros which followed that. He became one of the most unpopular prime ministers that we had data for. His ratings were terrible. People just didn't trust him. So certainly, if we're looking for a bar for his trust to be, that's a pretty low one indeed. I think Boris Johnson's legacy probably will improve, though, as we move further away from the immediate days of his premiership. He might be remembered for things like getting Brexit done, which is, of course, what a lot of his backers in the press are talking about now. And certainly that, of course was a policy which commanded the support of at least 52% of the public back in 2016. So I think the nature and the idea and the conceptions of Johnson's legacy will change over time. But certainly right now, the public still feel quite raw about Partygate and about all the sort of the furore around that. And so his legacy doesn't look too good at all. That was Patrick English, Associate Director at YouGov, speaking to us a little bit earlier on on Bloomberg Radio. We have been watching on the live video feed the hall, conference hall in the QE2 conference centre filling up as we wait for the results of that Conservative contest and lots of Tory grandees being spotted in the crowd. Yes, absolutely. A bit of Tory spotting here. But look, I mean, it looks like the start of term, frankly, mm. because the poll is absolutely packed. It's a short walk away, of course, from Parliament. Quasi quarting the business secretary, very prominent. He was standing in the front of what are hundreds of people now seated. You saw Tom Tugendat walking in, a former leadership rival, Michael Fabricant, the MP, so one of the uh, easy-to-spot MPs in the crowd. Dominic Raab, the Justice Secretary, the Chancellor Nadim Zahawi, sitting next to each other, Chatting having a long amiably. chat. Yeah. Yes, looking very <laughs> comfortable. Uh, all, as, all of this as we see the podium there, the Conservative Party sign, that the, the Union Jack and the anticipation of the announcement who has won the Conservative leadership race and who becomes the next Prime Minister as of tomorrow. Yeah, we understand that that all, all going well, the candidates have now been told the result. We won't learn it for a few minutes more, but the candidates at this stage should know who, who has won. Mm. Um, while we wait for that, though, um, we should talk about the markets and the economics around all of this as well. As the campaign has been underway, it's been a brutal summer for investors. Sterling plunged to two-decade lows. Government bonds, bond yields have soared and the FTSE 250 has underperformed as well. There are fears the Bank of England will struggle to raise interest rates fast enough now to control inflation. We've got Bloomberg's FX and rates editor, Christina Quino with us in the studio. Christine, thank you very much for being with us. Um, Rishi Sunak warning in the last days of this campaign of markets losing confidence in the British economy. How big a risk is a massive slump in sterling now or even a currency crisis? Uh, well, Stephen, I think we've seen a lot of that decline in sterling play out already in anticipation of what we could see as a result of this leadership contest and really the events that led up to it as well. Because, it, you know, it, it, it's it been a couple of months at least uh, since we first got that leadership challenge for Boris Johnson. And between now and then, sterling and really UK markets in general have had a lot of time to contemplate how much worse the cost of living crisis would get and how big of a challenge it's going to be for the new prime minister. I mean, I would know today, for instance, that we're seeing cable below that 115 level. I remember at the time when we got that Boris Johnson leadership challenge, it was still above 120. So that just kind of captures um, how much confidence the market has lost in the UK political situation. Of uh, late. Yeah, absolutely. Selling's down like 5.5% in three weeks. So you could also make the flip side argument that perhaps um, some of the negativity is priced in. Perhaps there'll be a stabilisation in terms of sterling. What kind of policy moves, though, would would tip the balance. Do you think that there is a set of policies that traders feared the most? Or is this more wrapped up in the energy crisis, which is a global issue? Well, Caroline, I think as far as the UK is concerned specifically, the next thing that markets will really want to be watching out for would be what happens to the fiscal situation in the UK. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, will the UK, as a lot of its um, uh, European counterparts are already being pushed to do, uh, is, is to provide more fiscal support for the energy crisis. Uh, that would certainly be something that would be taken positively by markets. How much of a political impetus there is uh, remains to be seen. And then on the flip side, of course, uh, you know, if, if uh, we see Liz Truss continuing on this, uh, as she promised in the campaign, adhering to core conservative principles, then that could probably be something that um, weighs on UK assets and in the pound much more. And then there's also the question of the Bank of England and what's going to happen with their inflation mandate. 
mandate. That's something that uh, Truss has alluded to as potentially reviewing and maybe reevaluating once she, if if she does indeed um, get the premiership. So that would be interesting for for traders to watch as well. Mm, it was interesting to hear in the interview that Liz Truss gave to the BBC yesterday. Her sort of climbing down a little bit on that position on the Bank of England, suggesting that it was uh, for the bank to be controlling inflation uh, rather than necessarily for the government. So there was it's interesting to see, I suppose, as things are shifting already as we move towards getting that result in the next few minutes. If we looked as well at the idea of guilt yields surging, twin UK deficits, more issuance, is this a bad cocktail for bond markets at a time that we've got the political upheaval at the same time? Yeah, Stephen, it is, as you say, a bad cocktail because it really can't have come at a worse time, uh, particularly for the bond markets. Because what we're seeing in terms of the yield levels initially was a function of what people are expecting out of the Bank of England and the, the, the task that they will have to undertake to really tackle that inflation issue that the UK and really a lot of countries across uh, the globe are facing at the moment. Um, but then I think that has been exacerbated over the last uh, few weeks or so by the idea that while the Bank of England is going to have to tackle that, the fiscal situation may not necessarily be beneficial for consumers, the economy and markets alike, really. And so it really is a bit of a double whammy uh, sort of weight on uh, uh, sterling and, and, and guilt here, mm. where on the one hand, expectations for higher BOE rates driving yields higher, and then on the other hand, also expectations for a lack of fiscal support weighing on them as well. Yeah, and and there's the whole question of sort of recession, which I think is quite interesting because I think part of this um, election sort of campaign between Sunak and Liz Truss was about whether or not you think that the UK is actually in recession or not or definitely heading for recession. And it seems like at the beginning of the campaign, Truss was not really in that camp and Sunak very much was. And that sort of negativity mainly maybe did not play out very well with those grassroots Conservative Party members. So I think that's kind of interesting. And that idea of recession fears weighing on the FTSE 250 that's done so poorly... Um, I mean, that is that an ongoing issue now in terms of stocks in particular, Christine? Absolutely, Caroline. I, I think at the moment, the way that investors are looking at this is, you know, how how is this going to play out? I think generally the sense is that regardless of which sector there are, it will be uh, quite a negative... Christine, I'm, I'm, so, I'm cutting right across here. So I apologise, but we want to go live to Queen Elizabeth II Hall. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Steeple. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. We're just about to hear the first speaker, Andrew Stevenson, and he's about to speak now. Honour to be co-chairman of our party, working alongside Ben Elliott. And I'm hugely proud of the way everyone has worked together to deliver this contest, which has shown the Conservative Party to be in good voice and good strength. We've held 12 regional hustings, the length and breadth of the United Kingdom, attended by 2,000, sorry, 20,000 party members. <laughs> it's been a long campaign. 20,000 party members and watched online by over 2.5 million members of the public. The members' hustings involved are two fantastic candidates undergoing 14 hours of questioning and taking more than 600 questions from party members. And these hustings were in addition to the multiple online hustings and the media interviews. This concluded last Wednesday with a fantastic event at the Wembley Arena attended by 6,000 party members. I'd like to pay tribute to Darren Mott and the dedicated team at CCHQ for running the membership ballot. I'd also like to thank my parliamentary colleagues for their support throughout the process, and in particular, members of the 1922 Executive, ably led by Sir Graham Brady, who, have been running, who has been the returning officer throughout the process. But most of all, I'd like to thank our party members, who've undertaken the solemn duty of choosing our next leader and our next Prime Minister. Our members have engaged constructively, positively and thoughtfully in the process whilst also keeping busy getting our message out across the United Kingdom, something I've seen uh, at the 87 constituency associations I've campaigned with in the last few weeks. (laughs) 
Finally, I'd like to take this opportunity to say a huge thank you to our outgoing leader and Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. His leadership through Brexit, through the pandemic, and now through the war in Ukraine was never going to be easy, but time and again, he rose to the challenge and delivered for our country. It is now essential that we come together as a party and unite behind our new leader and our new prime minister to continue. Our new Prime Minister will build on the outgoing Prime Minister's legacy and continue to deliver prosperity, opportunity and security for everyone. So with no further ado, will you please warmly welcome our two fantastic candidates, Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss. gentlemen to announce the results of our leadership election please welcome our returning officer Sir Graham Brady thank you Andrew uh, good afternoon everybody uh, on the 7th of July the Prime Minister announced his resignation as leader of our party the 1922 committee then organized five ballots over an eight-day period concluding the part of the leadership election for which we have responsibility, and putting forward the candidates to the National Convention and CCHQ for the programme of hustings all over the United Kingdom and the ballot of the membership that has now concluded. I work closely with the board of the party, CCHQ and Civica Electoral Services to ensure that all qualifying members had the opportunity to vote and to ensure that our ballot was secure as well as free and fair. I'd like to thank the 1922 executive, and in particular my fellow officers, Naz Ghani, Will Ragg, Sir Geoffrey Clifton-Brown, Bob Blackman and Gary Sandbrook, and our staff for all of their help and support, especially during the administration of the parliamentary rounds of voting. I would like to thank the party board and staff for all their hard work organizing the hustings, which allowed so many members to see the candidates in action, whether in person or online. I'm grateful to CES for the professionalism with which they have dealt with the ballot in distributing, collecting, and counting the votes, both online and by post. Finally, I want to thank all the party members who have taken this responsibility very seriously, all the candidates who put themselves forward for election, and in particular, my colleagues Rishi Sunak and Liz Truss who ran such excellent campaigns in the full glare of media scrutiny and who showed themselves to be outstanding candidates to be the leader of our party. Now the result. I, Sir Graham Brady, the returning officer for the Conservative and Unionist Party leadership election, declare that the total number of eligible voters was 172,437. The turnout in the election was 82.6%. The total number of votes rejected was 654. The total number of valid votes given to each candidate was as follows. Rishi Sunak, 60,399. Liz Truss, 81,326. Therefore, I give notice that Liz Truss is elected 
as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. We'll come up on Thank you, Sir Graham. It's an honour to be elected as leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. I'd like to thank the 1922 Committee, the Party Chairman and the Conservative Party for organising one of the longest job interviews in history. Thank you very much. I'd also like to thank my family, my friends, my political colleagues and all of those who helped on this campaign. I'm incredibly grateful for all of your support. I'd like to pay tribute to my fellow candidates, particularly Rishi Sunak. It's been a hard-fought campaign. I think we have shown the depth and breadth of talent in our Conservative Party. want to thank our outgoing leader, my friend, Boris Johnson. <laughs> Boris, you got Brexit done. You crushed Jeremy Corbyn. You rolled out the vaccine and you stood up to Vladimir Putin. You were admired from Kiev to Carlisle. and colleagues, thank you for putting your faith in me to lead our great Conservative Party, the greatest political party on earth. I know, I know that our beliefs resonate with the British people. Our beliefs in freedom, in the ability to control your own life, in low taxes, in personal responsibility. And I know that's why people voted for us in such numbers in 2019. And as your party leader, I intend to deliver what we promised those voters right across our great country. During this leadership campaign, I campaigned as a Conservative and I will govern as a Conservative. And my friends, we need to show that we will deliver over the next two years. I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. And I will deliver on the National Health Service. But we all will deliver for our, for our country. And I will make sure that we use all the fantastic talents of the Conservative Party, our brilliant members of Parliament and peers, our fantastic councillors, our MSs, our MSPs, 
all of our councillors and activists and members right across our country. Because my friends, I know that we will deliver, we will deliver, and we will deliver. And we, and we, and we will deliver a great victory for the Conservative Party in 2024. Thank you. Thank you. There we have it, Liz Truss, uh, a standing ovation greeting her her election speech, promising that they will deliver as she takes over as Prime Minister. Another historic step for the Conservative Party. Yep, the Conservative Chair Andrew Stevenson talked about how the new leader, uh, how the party must unite behind the new leader and the new Prime Minister and build on the outgoing Prime Minister's legacy. Interesting to break down the voting that we had from uh, Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee of Tory backbenchers. So out of the 172,000 people who were eligible to vote in this, uh, in fact, Rishi Sunak gained just over 60,000 votes. Liz Truss won by just over 81,000 votes. So this after that summer of campaigning. So I want to bring in now uh, David Merritt, our executive editor for EMEA, as we were listening to that speech. So there we have it. Liz Truss is going to now be our new UK Prime Minister. She is the leader of the Conservative Party. She won by a significant majority, but not nearly as big as we had been expecting, perhaps. A a clear margin of victory, but of course she'd been ahead in a a lot of the polls for some time, at least the polls of the Tory members. Notoriously hard to actually gauge the uh, the mood within the Conservative membership, but the polls were right. But yes, quite interesting, that margin. It's actually the, the narrowest margin in these uh, contests since the uh, system was changed and um, and the final say was given with Tory members. So both Boris Johnson, before him David Cameron, and before him Ian Duncan Smith, all won with the wider margin of victory. More if you look at that, 60 versus 80,000, it was really only 11 or 12,000 votes switching sides would have won it for uh, Mr Sunak. Um, that is not going to be the landslide um, impetus, really, for, for Liz Truss as she begins her premiership that maybe she would be hoping for. Because, of course, remember, most MPs preferred Mr Sunak as well. He came out top of the competition when it came down to the MPs. And yes, she's won with the party vote, but with nothing like a landslide as well. And mm. she has got, remember, a very, very difficult intro to deal with here. We've just heard her first speech as Prime Minister-elect. Remember, she's not actually officially Prime yes. Minister until tomorrow. And she talked about, she repeated this word, delivery, delivery, delivery. She said, we're going to deliver on energy bills. We're going to deliver tax cuts. But how is she going to do all of this? Um, That is the question that she's yet to answer. And we're going to have to find out in the coming days. Okay, David, stay with us. We're going to go live to Downing Street now and join Bloomberg's Ewan Potts, who's there. Of course, the the action is where you are really tomorrow, Ewan, as uh, David was just saying there, that, of course, the handover of power will happen tomorrow. But I'm interested in in your thoughts on that speech as well, as we were just hearing from David, a much Mm. narrower margin than we were expecting in that vote. Yeah, Liz Truss becoming the 56th Prime Minister tomorrow, as we expected. But yeah, it was it was a clear win. It was a comfortable win, but it wasn't an overwhelming win. Actually, the percentage terms, she got 57% of the vote to Rishi Sunak's 43%. So uh, that is certainly clear. But uh, from the commentary over the last few weeks, I think you might have expected it to be slightly more overwhelming than that. One uh, uh, member of Liz Truss's uh, campaign team said that they were never on the back foot uh, during the past uh, uh, few weeks or so, during those 12 hustings meetings. She's always uh, seen to be ahead and certainly if you followed the uh, the money with the bookmakers uh, she was always the clear favourite so not an overwhelming win but a certainly a clear win she did say in her speech that it was a hard-fought campaign I think that is uh, putting it 
uh, mildly. It was pretty brutal in many parts, particularly at the beginning of the campaign. You remember that uh, Labour attack where they clipped together the two candidates being very, very rude about themselves, about each other and, and about the Conservative Party and about the workings of the government they'd just bo both been uh, part of. Uh, she said that uh, Boris Johnson will be admired uh, from Kiev to Carlisle, paying a tribute to uh, uh, her friend, as she put it. Uh, interesting that uh, he won't be admired uh, North of Carlisle, that's what I rather took away from that, but I don't suppose she meant it like that. Uh, uh, she uh, campaigned as a Conservative and she says that she will govern as a Conservative. Of course, this is really the key question, is how she will govern, is how far she will pivot from the true blue Conservative she painted herself uh, to uh, actually when she is running the country as of tomorrow. Yeah, uh, very interesting. David, on this point, um, there's also been Keir Starmer's response after 12 years of the Tories. All we have to show for it is low wages, high prices and a Tory cost of living crisis. Now, the Labour Party's actually pulled ahead of the Conservatives in terms of their polling popularity with voters. Um, but they have had a sort of interesting summer in which they've stood back in some ways mm. as the Conservatives have fought out this battle um, and yet they also want a lot more done on, on energy. What do we think Truss is going to do on, on energy bills? She promised to deal with people's energy bills. That's right. We, we're going to wait and we're going to have to get the details this week. She had a, a, a long interview with the BBC yesterday, kind of like the first one really of her premiership to come because it was obviously after the, after the polls had shut mm. for the leadership election. And she was pressed on in that interview about the details. And she said, you're going to have to wait and see. But I will be coming up with something this week. So in the next few days, we can expect to see something. You know, over this weekend we've just had, we've had Germany coming up with a 65 billion euro package to help people with energy. Um, some reports over the weekend suggested that she may be preparing something in the region of a 100 billion pound mm. support package. Now, she just talked about governing as a conservative. <laughs> In the topsy-turvy world we're in now, if that is a conservative policy, that sort of intervention in the economy, that would be a new sort of conservative government that maybe we're not particularly used to. You know, this is a government that's just spent eye-watering amounts propping up the economy throughout COVID. And now we're talking about doing it all again in order to get us through this energy crisis. I mean, what a juxtaposition, Trust saying as we were listening. I will cut taxes, I will deal with people's energy bills and I will deal with the long-term issues of energy supply. I mean, that is a very difficult yeah, and how? expensive... And Costly. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't seem to that that's not a massive deviation for anything that we've heard from her up until this point either. And, and the question then arises at what point on what day? Now, granted, she, as you say, she's not prime minister yet. That happens tomorrow. But still to, to have no extra detail, no, no extra sort of encouragement in the, in the speech announcing as she as she is announced as the person to take over to run the country is an interesting um, factor to note as well. What sort of state does the Conservative Party go forward from this in? This being a much closer race than mm. than anticipated does slightly change the calculation when everyone expected that this could be a, a decisive victory or a more decisive victory. Absolutely. And we heard the co-chair talking before Graham Brady there about the need to come together. That got a kind mm -hmm. of round of encouraging applause. But the truth is this summer has exposed deep divisions within the Conservative Party. And you can see how split now even the membership are. Rishi Sunak was offering a very different approach um, to fixing the problems facing this country at the moment. Uh, radically divergent. He was talking about the need for taxes to stay where they are in order to fix um, the budget deficit that was built up over COVID. Uh, the need to rein in inflation above all else. She is taking a very, very different approach. And the party is pretty much divided down the middle on this, as yeah. we can see. Then you layer on top of that the fact that Labour are ahead in the polls. Mm -hmm. um, Liz Trust is not widely popular yet with the public. Let's wait and see how it pans out, of course, in the coming weeks. But as things stand today, she's not beloved of the British public. And if Labour starts to continue to surge ahead, I think she's going to find it quite difficult to get some of her more radical proposals, perhaps through Parliament. Remember, there are a lot of MPs sitting in marginal seats um, uh, you know, the famous red wall seats that went blue in 2019. And if Labour are 10, 20 points ahead, their jobs are on the line. And she just mentioned the election as well. You know, we're only two years away um, at the longest from an election. It's not a huge amount of time when we're facing these sort of economic problems. So a huge amount of issues for her to deal with, a massive amount of urgency mm -hmm. and a potentially very divided party to try to get through. And yet Liz Trust promised to use all of the talents uh, in the mm -hmm. Conservative Party. I mean, uh, she was obviously uh, talking on uh, home territory to her own MP. So this was clearly a sort of promise to them that um, perhaps those who are looking for advancement might get it in her government. And yet 
who is going to be in in cabinet? That is also all important. You know, who takes over as Chancellor, as Home Secretary and, and Defence? I mean, there are so many issues facing the UK. She did mention fixing the NHS as one top priority. Mm-hmm. So it did get a look in. Yeah, again, without any details of how she might do that. In her interview yesterday, she talked about uh, tasking her new health secretary, without naming them, of course, uh, with delivering the improvements in the NHS needs. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, reporting done on who's going to be in her cabinet. Mm. Widely expected that Kwasi Kwarteng uh, is going to be named the new chancellor. Um, and there's going to be what she describes as a fiscal event this, 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 sometime this month, so an emergency budget by, an, by any other name, um, where she's going to enact some of these promises, you know, um, cutting back the, the 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 national insurance rate that rise which she says she um she opposed is one um what's she going to do on corporation tax um and then what's she going to do to to alleviate people's energy bills we're going to ex- we're going to get all of these details in the coming days and then how is mr Quateng going to square that with the treasury as well that one of the most telling moments for me in some of the hustings over the campaign was where she labeled people in the treasury who worry about balance in the books as bean counters, <laughs> which yeah, is but a very remarkable f- thing for a Conservative candidate to accuse Treasury officials of being. So I think that shows you that the, uh, the, the the spending taps are going to be coming on but and she's less concerned about any sort of budget um, uh, equilibrium in the coming years. And yet it's odd because she was also somebody who worked in the Treasury herself. Yes. I mean, she's been a minister in, what, four different roles, at least in over something like 10 years. And she was also in Treasury. So that's kind of quite... A, a turnaround too. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the sort of um, uh, economics, trussonomics we've been calling mm-hmm. it in a lot of our reporting, we're still all trying to piece it together a bit, aren't we? Because, you know, there, there have been, uh, I think it's fair to say, some p- lots of pivots, lots of changes in approach throughout her political career. Where's that going to land in a partnership? You know, the key dynamic in any British government is the dynamic between the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer. So we'll get that appointment, presumably very soon. Assuming that it is Mr Kwarteng, how are the pair of them going to shepherd the economy in the coming months? That's what we're going to be tracking very closely. And how to calm the markets as well, which is the other part of it that we're watching closely as well. Just wanted to bring you the reaction from Nicola Sturgeon, the First Minister of Scotland, congratulating Liz Truss, saying that political differences are deep, but that she will seek to build a good working relationship with her, as she did with the last three Prime Ministers. And there's a call there for freezing energy bills as well for and more cash support for the public. Uh, elsewhere, interesting to watch, there's no reaction yet from Michelle O'Neill of Sinn Féin, who's the first minister designate in Northern Ireland either, because there are those bigger constitutional issues also facing them and relationships with the EU. And as we've been hearing from, from our colleagues and guests throughout the past couple of days, Liz Truss is someone who's known in Brussels and they're not particularly thrilled with the idea of her taking over relations when it comes to what's going to happen next around the Northern Ireland Protocol and Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. And considering the economic issues that the country is facing right now and the, and the sense of real crisis that is starting to emerge. It is uh, surprising, perhaps, to think that she might consider um, taking these very radical steps to uh, perhaps scrap the Northern, Pro- uh, Northern Ireland Protocol and provoke um, a much bigger and deeper dispute with the European Union. But, you know, she likes to call herself a disruptor of things. So I think everything is potentially on the table in the coming weeks. Okay. Uh, Looking ahead just to tomorrow, of course, um, at 8.30am tomorrow morning, Boris Johnson will give his farewell speech this after his farewell week that included his tour, his farewell tour, uh, which did include a few stunts. I will call them that. A few stunts, fighter pilots and and the like. Exactly. So who knows? I'm sure there'll be something you know, I remember him by which which movie quote would he use? You know, Asa La Vista was his <laughs> farewell comment in the columns in the Commons. So we can expect something memorable. I would I would expect from from Mr. Johnson tomorrow in his swan song. And this unusual handover we're going to be getting as well because the Queen is in Balmoral so it's not a, a short trip down the road to Buckingham Palace this time around. It is uh, two separate trips. We're learning to Balmoral that we will have the, the Prime Minister will be going, the outgoing Prime Minister and then the incoming Prime Minister will follow afterwards as the Queen is is hosting both of them there for the resignation and appointment to the new Prime Minister as well. Yeah, I think the remarkable thing about that is that it's going to be the 15th Prime Minister for this Queen and, you know, a, a period of enormous sort of stability under Queen Elizabeth uh, more radical change in terms of of kind of um, the economics that face the UK. I think there's kind of a moment to think about that, what, what the next five years might hold for Britain. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, travelling up to Bamar, I think it's the first time the Queen has not been present for this handover at Buckingham Palace. We know, of course, she's had mobility problems and, and health has caused her to be less mobile, perhaps, in the, uh, than she has been in the past. So they're making that round trip there. I, I doubt, I mean, it's nice for Nicola Sturgeon to send that message. I don't think 
Liz Truss is going to be stopping by Edinburgh uh, to to greet the Scottish First Minister. Obviously, caused some um, bad uh, press last week with some of her comments about Nicola Sturgeon. It's going to be interesting how she deals with that problem of uh, the you know the Scottish independence request is working its way through the UK Supreme Court. So these big constitutional issues, regardless of even potentially the frailty of, of, of the Queen as well, which have huge implications for Britain in the coming years as well. That's yet another thing in her very heavy entry. Okay, David Merritt, our executive editor for EMEA, thank you very much for joining us on this programme. Thank you for you for joining us as well for this special programme. A reminder of what we have heard. The Conservative Party has a new leader. Liz Truss was elected with 57.3% of the members' vote, the smallest margin of victory uh, for, for the since the Tory membership started electing their leaders. Boris Johnson had one with 66% of the vote back in 2019. Rishi Sunak... Uh, scoring 60, just over 60,000 votes compared to Liz Truss's 81,000. And Liz Truss will now be going forward to, as we've just been saying, she will be going to Balmoral tomorrow after Boris Johnson resigns. We'll have a speech outside Downing Street. He'll be going to Balmoral to resign for the Queen and it will be then Liz Truss's turn to take over the mantle and from there govern as the uh, next Prime Minister. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.